So we are starting off this year at Grace Church focusing on prayer. We had an encouraging uh, week of prayer. It just wrapped up a week ago. And we are preaching on prayer. We've been doing it for a few weeks. have a few more weeks to go because we believe God wants us as a church to grow in prayer. We're all at different stages of prayer, different backgrounds with prayer, but God has more for each of us this year. And I would encourage you to um, help us grow. If you have questions about prayer or confusions about prayer or disappointments about prayer, if you would send those questions or thoughts to us, send an email to elders at gracechurchabudabi.com. We will try to weave answers to those questions into the sermons because we want to make sure that these sermons are helping you in the nitty-gritty of what it means to pray and try to seek God's face. So don't hesitate. We will not mention your name. If we mention one of the questions, we'll just mention the question and seek to answer that. So please send those emails in. Now this morning, we're going to learn about prayer from King David. David was the king of Israel, and he lived in the Old Testament time period, about 1000 BC. David was a king, he was a soldier, he was a worshiper. He wrote most of the book of Psalms, and most of the Psalms he wrote are prayers. And so this morning, I want us to learn about prayer from King David by studying Psalm 25. In this Psalm, he records his prayer, when he's facing a time of great difficulty, significant problems that he's battling. So let's read through Psalm 25, follow along with me, verses one through 22, and notice clues that show us what kinds of problems David was facing. Psalm 25, verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. Let me just pause there. Whenever we say, O my God, let's always have that be reverent and awe-filled and worshipful. Let's not let it become a cliche, an OMG, just kind of a cliche. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Let's always, O my God, let's have that be worshipful. So that's what David says, O my God, In you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 
Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Isn't that great? Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Psalm 25, 1 through 22. Now let's start by asking this question. What problems is David facing here? What's he dealing with? And I saw four different problems. First, he has many violent enemies. Did you see that? Right there in verse two, he says, let not my enemies exult over me. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Imagine what it would be like to be facing many violently hateful enemies. That's what David's dealing with here. Second problem, he doesn't know what God wants him to do about these enemies. You can see that in verse four. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And then verse five, lead me in your truth and teach me. Think of how difficult it would be if you faced many violent enemies and you just weren't sure what you were gonna do about them. That's what David's dealing with here. Third, he's feeling lonely, afflicted, troubled, and distressed. Look at verse 16. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. So David is not feeling secure, strong, content, peaceful. Not at all. David is feeling lonely, afflicted, troubled in his heart, and distressed. And then one more problem, fourth. He's struggling with guilt over his sin. Look at verse seven. He says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Now just let's pause for a moment. Why is David struggling with guilt here? You might wonder, what's he guilty about? The Bible teaches very clearly that we have all sinned against God. God is perfectly trustworthy. We have every reason to trust him, perfectly obey him immediately and love him supremely and David has sinned against God just like every one of us has, right? 
So David has sinned against God, and David knows God is holy. God is perfectly righteous, and God must punish sin. God can't have any relationship, any contact with sin and evil. So David knows, left to himself, he's facing God's judgment because of his guilt. But God loves us, the Bible teaches, and God sent his own son, Jesus, the Messiah, David knew God was going to do that in the future. We look back and see how God did that in the past. But God sent his own son, Jesus, who was fully God and who became fully man. And Jesus died on the cross and he was punished on the cross for the sins of everyone who will trust him. And so surely David, you know, there was forgiveness in the Old Testament because of what Jesus would do in the future. So David knew he'd sinned. Surely he would have confessed his sins before God. Like they did in the Old Testament, he would have brought his animal sacrifice to the temple. He would have confessed his sins because of that that animal sacrifice is pointing to what Jesus will do because of what Jesus did on the cross. God forgave David and God poured out his assuring love upon David. So David would have experienced forgiveness from God, but why is he feeling guilty here and now? And I think the reason is, it's like what we all experience from time to time. How many of you are like me and like David, when a trial comes, a problem hits you, some difficulty, and you're struggling with that, you're feeling worried and discouraged, that sense of God's assuring love that you're forgiven lifts off, you're not sensing that anymore, and you start to feel guilty for your sins. Well, I've done this wrong and I've done this wrong, and, and, and you're feeling guilty before God again, right? Isn't that what happens when we go through hard times? Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm feeling guilty because of, I mean, I'm guilty because of my sin. And so what David is asking for in this psalm is, God, give me a fresh assurance, a fresh outpouring of your assuring love that I'm forgiven because of what Jesus the Messiah will do. So that's what David is struggling with here. Four major problems. Violent enemies, not knowing what God wants him to do about those enemies, feeling lonely, afflicted, troubled, distressed, and battling with guilt, lack of assurance, struggling with guilt over his sin. So can you feel those problems? Any of us have problems this morning? Okay, we're in good company. You and King David, us and King David. So how does David respond to these problems? This is so important. It's all through the psalm, but just look at verse 1. We'll see immediately what David does. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you. He starts off talking to God. He's praying. To you, Lord, I'm lifting up my soul before you. Look at all these troubles. I'm lifting up my soul, all my troubles, and I'm, I'm coming to you. And so David starts off praying. That's how he responds to his problems, praying. Now, let's be clear, what is prayer? People have a lot of different ideas about prayer in the world today. Prayer is not emptying your mind and just being aware. That's not prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Also, prayer is not sending positive thoughts towards someone. I'm not sure what that means, but I read about that a lot. People think, send your prayers and thoughts their way. It's like, uh uh-huh. Prayer is not sending positive thoughts somewhere. Prayer is talking to God. And prayer is not just 
chanting or repeating some words you think are holy words. Prayer is you in your heart talking to God. Very simple. And we do that through Jesus the Messiah. That's how we're forgiven. So prayer is talking to God. Now, we can hear that and just say, yeah, okay, I know that. But I'm asking God to give us a a deeper, fresher sense of like, whoa. Let's just think for a moment about who God is. God is bigger than the universe, right? He created the universe. He's bigger than the universe. So I thought this week, how big is the universe? So I checked Wikipedia, okay? Scientists say that the universe is 93 billion light years from one edge to the other edge. 93 billion light light years. Now, okay, that's just, what does that mean? How big is a light year? Wikipedia, okay? A light year is nine trillion kilometers. Okay, so let's just, let's just start something we can, think about, a, think about one kilometer, okay? That, that's, that's, that's a fair distance, right? Okay, think about one kilometer. A light year is nine trillion of those kilometers. Whoa, and the universe is 93 billion times that. And God made all of that. And God is bigger than all of that. And David is talking to God. And God is listening. David, the God of the universe is listening to David. Whenever you talk to God through Jesus, God is listening. I love that. Whenever we turn to God through Jesus, God welcomes us, hears us, loves us, is glad we're talking to him, and he will answer us. He'll respond to us. So that's why David responds to all these problems by talking to God through the Messiah, through Jesus, because he knows that God will welcome him, help him, love him. So let me ask you the question. Just be really honest here. When you face problems, I imagine we've all had problems this last week, right? Okay, we've all had problems this last week. This last week, when you have faced problems, how did you respond to your problems? We've seen what David did what did you do? I made a list of a couple things that we might have done besides talking to God. Did we mope around? You don't need to raise your hand. Any, any mopers here, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, how about calling up someone to complain? Okay, that's, that's a fairly popular answer. How about, like, what's in the refrigerator, right? Something, find something to eat? Or what's on Netflix or something to watch, right? Okay, I mean, isn't, isn't that... Common? Church, come on. Okay, I know I left out. There's a lot more I could have mentioned too. But what we learned from this psalm is that what we should do when we face problems is we should pray. We should pray. Talk to God through Jesus, the Messiah. When we face difficulties, enemies, when we are confused about what we should be doing, when our hearts are feeling lonely, afflicted, heartbroken, when we're feeling guilty, when we're this cloud of guilt over us, or whatever else we're facing. 
we should talk to God through Jesus. So David prays. Now, how does he pray? How does David pray? We want to learn from David about how to pray. And as I studied Psalm 25, I saw that David teaches us six different ways or aspects or approaches, parts of prayer. Six of them. The first is this. This is amazing. David asks God for what he needs. That's not what is so amazing. What's amazing is how many requests are in this psalm. There's 22 verses, and I counted 21 requests. Okay, let's just read these through. Verse 2, let me not be put to shame. Also verse 2, let not my enemies exult over me. Verse 4, make me know your ways. Verse 4, teach me your paths. Verse five, lead me in your truth and teach me. Verse six, remember your mercy and your steadfast love, thinking about his guilt. Verse seven, remember not the sins of my youth. Verse seven, according to your steadfast love, remember me. Verse 11, pardon my guilt. Verse 16, turn to me, be gracious to me. Verse 17, bring me out of my distresses. Verse 18, consider all my affliction and my trouble. Verse 18, forgive all my sins. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes. Verse 20, guard my soul and deliver me. Also verse 20, let me not be put to shame. Verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me. And verse 22, redeem Israel out of all of his troubles. I think I counted 21 in that list. This is amazing, 22 verses and 21 requests. Now, as I looked at this, I remembered I've had conversations with people in the past, no one here I don't think, but I think it's probably a fairly common problem, and that is I've talked to people, and when they have needs and problems, and they said, well, are you praying? They've said to me things like, well, you know, my problems aren't, aren't, aren't really important enough to bring before God. And you know, other people have got problems that are surely much more important than mine, so I don't wanna, you know, anybody talk that way? Don't raise your hand again, but I mean, just think about it. I think it's fairly common that there are people who do not bring their problems before God because what they say is they're not important enough or other people have more important problems. If that's what you've thought, I'd like to help you see that you are not rightly understanding God you are missing a massive truth about who God is. Hear me out on this, if if you get this. We need to understand that God's power and love and attention and capacities have no limits. There's no limits. It's not that he's only got like this much power, this much love, this much capacity, and like let's not use it, for, use it up on small stuff. We might have some big stuff coming along or somebody else might have something bigger. I don't want to take up God's capacity so they don't get what they need. That's assuming that God's power, wisdom, strength, love, capacity is limited, right? Do you see that? Think about it like this. God's power, capacity, love, ability is infinite, which means there's eight billion people on planet Earth right now. If all eight billion of those people are trusting Jesus Christ right now, 
and all of them all at once this Friday morning are bringing all of their problems towards God, okay? Eight billion people's problems, big problems, small problems, all at once, eight billion people crying out to God with their problems. That doesn't even dent God's love and capacity and power and wisdom. That doesn't make a ripple in God's love and power and capacity and wisdom. Think about it like this. If God's power, love, and capacity and wisdom is, is the ocean, then eight billion people's problems is like a, like a little cup pulled up out of that ocean. And all the rest of that is God's love and capacity and wisdom. Do you see that? In fact, that, that analogy actually isn't true because the ocean is finite and God's love and power and capacity and wisdom is infinite. Do you see that? So church, here's the point. Never hesitate to talk to God about your problems. Never. There's never a reason not to. And, and as I've seen hesitations in my heart, usually the root of that is pride. Or, and or, probably the same thing, I'm not sure I'm going to like how God's going to take care of it. Right? I mean, why else would we hesitate? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You've read the Bible, haven't you? You've seen what God can do for people when they face problems and trials. And David brings his problems and his trials to God. So, if you have problems right now that you have not yet brought to God, then I would encourage you this morning to, to confess to God that you've not understood more clearly who he is. Confess that before the Lord. Ask him to help you pray and pray. Repent if you're not praying and pray and bring your problems before God. So that's the first thing we learn about how David responds to his problems in prayer as he brings his problems to God. Second, David goes into detail about his troubles. This is so interesting. He goes into detail. Look at verse 16. I am lonely and afflicted. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. He's talking to God here, right? God, my, I am lonely, I'm afflicted, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Verse 18, consider, think about my affliction, God, and, and my trouble. Look at my affliction. Look at my trouble. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. David goes into great detail about what he's facing and about what he needs. Now, some of us, maybe many of us, don't do this. Okay, some of us, if we faced all these problems that David was facing, we would just simply say something like, Heavenly Father, I've got some problems. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Or something like that, okay? No detail, no explanation, just a little too brief. Now, that's better than nothing, because we're praying. But now, why does David go into so much detail? It's not because God doesn't know. God knows David's problems better than David does, right? God knows far more about David's problems. So why is it? Why does David go into so much detail? Why should we go into detail? It's because David wants relationship with God. David wants closeness with God. David wants sweet fellowship with God. 
see if this helps. Let's say that you are going through some just major problems and you have a very good friend and you've not told them about any of your problems, but somehow, this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit, somehow they know all about your problems without you telling them, okay? Can you, can you go with me on this one? All right, so you have a friend who you've never shared, never talked with them about your problems, but they already know all of your problems and you have huge problems. And let's say you sit down and have coffee with them and you, you don't talk about any of your problems, talking about the weather and talking about you know, the football team and all the different things that are going on, but you never share about your problems. Now, can you see how you, you wouldn't have much relationship there? There's not much fellowship going on there. There's not much connectedness in your hearts there, right? But what if instead you opened up your heart and you went into detail about what you're dealing with? There's this going on and I'm really struggling with this and, and oh man, here's this that's happening and, and I'm really discouraged about this. Do you see how relationship is starting there? You're opening your heart to them. You're having sweet fellowship together. They can share with you. You are sharing with them. You're connecting together about what you're going through. They knew all about it, but until you share about it, you're not connecting about it, right? I think that's why David, and you'll see this all through the Psalms. David goes into great detail. All the Psalmists do, often, often. They go into great detail about the difficulties that they're struggling with, not because God doesn't know, but because they want to open their hearts up. There's, there's the verse in one of the Psalms that says, pour out your soul before the Lord. You've got all the stuff in your soul. Don't keep it there. Pour it out before him. He'll meet you in it. He'll strengthen you in it. He'll help you in it. So that's the second thing we see from David. He goes into detail with God about his troubles. Now third, this is interesting. David encouraged himself in God. If you, if you were listening carefully as we read through Psalm 25, you'll notice that David shifts from talking to God to talking to himself, encouraging himself in who God is in verses eight through 10. Do we see the picture up there? Here it comes. Do you have a picture? Oh, there it is. Okay, all right. Eight through 10, David encouraged himself with who God is. And then verse 11, he's back to talking to God again. 12 through 15, he's back to encouraging himself with truth about God. And then 16 through 22, he's back to talking to God again. Now, why does David do this? Let's look exactly at what he says. Maybe we'll be able to figure this out more. So verses one through seven, he's praying to God, and then verses eight through 10, he encourages himself with who God is. And remember that David doesn't know what to do about his enemies. He needs guidance and wisdom from God. And so look at what he says to himself in verses eight through 10. He encourages himself in this way. Verse eight, good and upright is the Lord. See how he's not talking to God right now. He's, he's reminding himself about who God is. See that? Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So think of David encouraging himself here. He, he needs wisdom, he's not sure what to do and he, and he stops praying and, and he just encourages himself David, the Lord is good and upright. And therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Now, David, you've admitted to God that you're a sinner. 
And so therefore, he's going to instruct you. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. You've humbled yourself before the Lord. He will therefore lead you in what's right. He'll teach you his way. And David, all the paths of the Lord, however the Lord leads you to go, every path the Lord leads his people to go on is paved with loving kindness, steadfast love, and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and testimonies. That, that does not mean that his trials won't ever take you through suffering. We're clear on that, right, church? The paths God takes us on sometimes lead us through suffering, right? So how can they be steadfast love and faithfulness? It's because even through the suffering, he will be pouring his steadfast love and faithfulness upon you, strengthening you, comforting you, giving you even more joy in him than you would have had otherwise. Then look at verses 12 through 15. This is the second time when David encourages himself with truth about God. Let's go through these one verse at a time. So verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? David. David's talking to himself. Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord, lots of ways you can describe it. Let me put it this way this week. It means to tremble at the astonishing love and goodness of God. To say, oh, that's the fear of the Lord. And David knows that he's fearing the Lord. And so he assures himself, David, God's gonna tell you what you should do. God's gonna, he'll instruct you in the way you should choose. Verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. Okay, we will abide in, in well-being. If you, fearing the Lord through Jesus, you're trembling at his amazing goodness and love, you will abide in well-being. Now again, that does not mean that you'll be free from all problems, but even in the midst of the problems, God will make his presence so real to you that you're filled, you're strengthened, you're comforted. He's your prize. He will do that. You'll abide in well-being. And what about your offspring inheriting the land? Well, it does not mean our children are all gonna get rich with real estate, okay? It's not what that means. This is one of those promises that applies just to Old Testament believers, right? It means your enemies won't take, my enemies aren't gonna take the land from us. God has promised this land to the people of Israel. It's our land, we will inherit it. Verse 14, David is still encouraging himself with truth about God. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. David, because you fear the Lord, he is your friend. You say that to yourself, okay? Myself, because I'm fearing the Lord, God is my friend. He's close to me. It's like we sang, he holds us close. He always holds us close. He will counsel me. He will guide me. He will assure me of all of his covenant promises. And then verse 15 is this beautiful conclusion from that little section where he's encouraging himself with who God is. Verse 15, because of who God is, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Do you love that as part of your prayer? I'm never gonna stop looking to God. I'm gonna constantly look to you, God, because you will pluck my feet out of the net. So David knows that God's gonna meet him. That's why he's gonna keep trusting him, keep looking to him. So do you see how David mixes 
talking to God, prayer to God, with encouraging himself with truth about God. He mixes those in his prayer. Have you ever done that? Now, now why would David do that? As I've done this and experienced it, here, here's what I've felt happen, is that when I remind myself of who God is, my faith rises. My earnestness in prayer increases. My passion in prayer grows. And so I would encourage you, if, if you are praying and you find your faith starting to diminish, which happens sometimes when we pray, right? So just pause and just open up the Bible, find some promises, and preach them to yourself. Or even if your faith isn't diminishing, open up the Bible, find some promises, and preach them to yourself, and your faith will grow even more. So mix prayer with encouraging yourself with truth about who God is, back to prayer, back to encouraging yourself with who God is, back to prayer, back and forth. Your faith will grow, 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 grow. Your earnestness and your fervency in prayer will deepen and increase and increase. It's very powerful to mix prayer with encouraging yourself with who God is. Fourth, truth we learn about prayer from this passage. David gives God reasons based on who God is. This is so interesting. If you've never noticed this in the Bible, I would encourage you to start noticing this. Start circling words like for or because in prayers, in the Psalms especially, where the psalmist gives God reasons for why God should do what the psalmist needs done. Now, let me just be clear here. I mean, this is all through the Bible. You'll find it all over the place. This is not because we need to talk God into doing things for us. It's not the picture at all. It's not like God's like, this is, tell me why I need to do that. Oh, okay. That's not how God's responding at all. Remember what we've learned about prayer these last weeks. God has chosen to give our prayers a crucial role in bringing about what God has already chosen to do. Our prayers have a, an essential, crucial role. God has chosen to give our prayers a crucial role in moving God to do what he's already chosen to do. So our prayers are crucial and God is sovereign. That's how they both come together. But I think that has implications for this and that is God has chosen to use your reasons to move him to do what he's already delighting to do. God has chosen to use the reasons you give him to move his heart to do what he's already ordained to do. So he's ordained those reasons. That makes those reasons important, so give him reasons. He's ordained that those reasons will move him to do what he's chosen to do. So look at what David says here. Verse five. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Here's a reason. For they have been from of old. David is saying this, Father, ever since the Garden of Eden, you've been forgiving. You forgave Adam and Eve. You forgave Abraham. You forgave Sarah. You forgave Ruth. You forgave Moses. You've, you've always forgiven, and here I am. Forgive me. See how powerful that is? You've always been forgiving, Lord. Forgive me now beautiful, powerful reason. That would have strengthened his own faith to pray this, and God would have smiled and said, that's right, I'm always forgiving. I'm gonna pour out fresh assurance of my forgiveness upon you right now. Verse seven, David says, according 
to your steadfast love, remember me. He's still praying about forgiveness here. So remember me according to your steadfast love for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. For the sake of your goodness, God, do this. Now what does that mean? David is saying this, Father, think of how much this would display your goodness to have you forgive someone as sinful as me. Forever, all the redeemed in heaven are gonna be looking at that and saying, glory to God, what a merciful God, what a forgiving God that you'd forgive David in that way. So Lord, for the sake of displaying your goodness, forgive me. And God just smiles and says, I've ordained to do that, I'll do that. You know? Again, God, God has already ordained to do these things, but he's given our reasons a crucial role in bringing these things about. One more example, verse 11. David says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. How many of us struggle with feeling like um, we don't deserve to be forgiven by God? I would guess many of us, you don't need to raise your hand, but I would guess many of us feel like we don't deserve to be forgiven by God. Okay, now here, here's what the Bible says. This might sound surprising to some of you, but the Bible says you're right. You don't deserve to be forgiven by God. None of us does. We've all sinned against God, right? God's justice means he must punish sin. We don't deserve. What's gonna move God to forgive our sins is not, not what we deserve. We don't want God to respond to us with what we deserve. But so when, I think it was Martin Luther who said, when, when Satan comes and says, you know, you've sinned in this way and you've sinned in this way and you've sinned in this way and you've sinned in this way, Satan does that sometimes, right? Martin Luther always responded saying, that's why I'm running to Jesus right now. That's why I'm turning to Jesus Christ, because he forgives sinners. He welcomes repentant sinners. And so that's what David is saying here. For the sake of your name, for your name's sake, it's not my worth, it's your worth. Display the worth of your glorious mercy by forgiving me, God. And God loves that and responds to that. For the sake, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. How often do you give God reasons for what, he, what you're asking him to do? Oh, Grace Church, I hope that we start giving God reasons. Study the Psalms, look at the reasons that the psalmists give, start integrating those in with your prayers. It'll strengthen your faith, it'll please God's heart, and it'll glorify his name. Fifth, and we're looking at six things we learn about prayer here from David, so fifth, David kept waiting on God until God answered. What does it mean to wait on God? It doesn't mean we're just like, like you're at the, at the metro station, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. That's not waiting on God. Waiting on God is like, it's like you got your Bible open, okay, and you're, you're praying, and you're, you're watching expectantly to see what God's going to do got the promises in front of you, you're praying the promises, you're asking God to help you, and you're watching expectantly to see what he's going to do. Waiting on the Lord. Now that phrase, I, I counted this morning, that word waiting, as in waiting on the Lord, is used 20 times in the Psalms. 20 times it's used. Waiting on God means praying and watching expectantly. And notice at the beginning of this Psalm, verses three and five, David says he's waiting on the Lord. Verse three, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. So he's, he's waiting on God and no one who waits on the Lord is ever gonna be put to shame. That's a glorious promise, church, isn't it? None 
who wait on the Lord will ever be ashamed. Wow, that's glory. That has brought me encouragement so many times. Lord, I'm waiting on you. None who wait on the Lord will ever be ashamed. Verse five, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. I'm watching expectantly for you to respond, for you to answer my prayers. So at the beginning of the psalm, David's waiting on the Lord, and he's still waiting on the Lord at the end of the psalm. Look at verse 21. Next to the last verse of the psalm. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Now think about this. If David is still waiting on God at the end of the psalm, then that means that God hasn't answered his prayers yet, right? Right? If, if, if waiting on God means watching expectantly to see what God's going to do, and if at the end of the psalm he's still waiting on God, then God hasn't answered these prayers yet. David has asked God for wisdom. What do I do about my enemies? God hasn't given that wisdom to him yet. David has asked for fresh assurance of his forgiveness. God hasn't given that to him yet. David has asked God, deliver me from my enemies. David has seen no evidence that God's dealt with the enemies yet, but he's still waiting on the Lord because he knows God's going to answer. God will give him the wisdom that he needs. He's just a matter of time, he's waiting on the Lord. God will pour out fresh assurance of his love and his forgiveness. He's waiting on the Lord and God will do something about the enemies, whether that means God takes the enemies out of David's life or strengthens David to deal with the enemies. We aren't sure, but God will do something about the enemies so he's waiting on the Lord. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Keep waiting on the Lord. None who wait on the Lord will be ashamed. Trust him. He will respond. He will help you. He will meet you. None who wait on the Lord will be ashamed. So keep waiting, watching expectantly for God to answer. Sixth, David ends by praying for all of God's people. Look at verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. So David has spent 21 verses praying about the problems he's going through, and he closes by saying, Father, all of your people have difficulties now. Redeem Israel out of all of their troubles, out of all of our troubles. Help us, glorious, faithful, merciful God. And so mingle praying for others in with praying about your own needs as well. God will be delighted in that. You'll be blessed by watching God answer many more prayers and God's people will be blessed as you do that. So Grace Church, what does this mean for us? Think about what problems you're facing right now. Okay, just this, 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 this. When you walk into church, you don't leave your problems at the door. You bring them in. Okay, and you bring them before the Lord. And so I wanna encourage you right now, I wanna encourage you this afternoon, tonight, this week, throughout the week, take time to pray about the problems you are facing. Pray about them. Talk to God through Jesus the Messiah. That's what prayer is, just you talk to God through Jesus. Ask for what you need. 21 asks in these 22 verses. Don't hesitate to ask God for what you need. Go into detail about your problems because 
you're, you're pouring out your soul before him. You're opening up your heart. You're going to be experiencing sweet fellowship as you talk about, I'm lonely, I'm afflicted, help me. Oh, it'll be sweet fellowship between you and the Father. Mix prayer, talking to God, with encouraging yourself with who God is. Give God reasons based on who he is. Keep waiting on God until he answers. And mix prayer for your own needs with, with prayer for God's people's needs. As you do this, because of Jesus paying for your sins, because you're trusting him, God will welcome you, God will listen to you, and God will respond. He always will. So, Grace Church, let's pray. Let's be a people who pray. Let's pray. Stand together. I want to pray this over us. Father, I pray that you would, this week, help us be quicker to turn to you with our problems, to talk to you, to ask you for help, to humble ourselves before you, to seek your face. Make us quicker to do that this week. We praise you that none who wait for you will be ashamed. So Lord, make us a church who is waiting on you, watching expectantly as we pray, knowing that you will answer. I want to pray, Father, for anyone here who has not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ and been forgiven for their sins so that they can talk to you and have you draw near to them with love and care. I pray that right now, Lord, you would have used this message to show them your love in Christ, that you'd melt the unbelief away from their hearts, melt pride out of their hearts, let them repent for their sins and put their trust in Christ. And Lord, right now, pour your assuring love upon them that they are forgiven through Christ. And then give them a glorious week of being able to turn to you with whatever problems they face, I pray. Lord, make us a church. Help us to be growing in prayer in 2020 this year, but Lord, make us a church who brings every problem to you in earnest prayer. And we praise you that you are a glorious, merciful, prayer-hearing and prayer-answering God. We love you, Lord. So put this upon us, I pray, in Jesus' name.